It's a beautiful 72 and sunny at Sad Styles Productions. We will take off as soon as everyone's tray tables are in a locked and upright position. On Tuesday, the Retrograde Podcast is reviewing L.A. Noir for its 10-year anniversary. And that's the truth. On Thursday, the Jackass crew relives the pain and glory of the TV show Jackass. The sign-off drops on Thursday, where Mikey and Brian get a behind-the-scenes look at the Toronto Maple Leafs in a conversation with anthem singer John McDermott. On Friday, Andrew loses money on the NBA playoffs on losing money with Andrew Bassler. Please keep your seatbelts fastened until all the podcasts are complete. Thanks for flying with Sad Styles Productions. Get into it. Coming up, a Sad Styles Production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign-off. We're here for another week, and here's a little peek behind the curtain. We actually pre-recorded quite a number of these podcasts to catch us up for the past three weeks or so, so we can't wait to get back in studio and back at it with some of our guests. I'm going to sit down again with my dad in the coming weeks, and we have some topics that we think everyone's going to be interested in, but I'd love to ask for some more questions. If you have questions out there and you'd like us to address them on the podcast, you can always email us, signoffpod at frameworth.com. If you're a new listener, I know we were running some ads on the Fan 590. Please feel free to reach out, join the community. You can find us on Twitter and social media. All that is written throughout the overlay over the course of the episode, and then we summarize it all at the end of the episode, uh, especially if you're watching on YouTube. Now, here's a little bit of a trick of the trade. If you're new to podcasting or this whole universe, you may not know this, and even if you've been listening to podcasts, you might not know this either, but there comes a time when every podcast host just gets a little bit selfish and has a guest on for no other reason than the fact that they really like this person. Today's guest is like that, but it does dovetails very nicely with the fact that he has an insight into a realm of sports that no one really knows about. The first thing that happens when you put your television on to watch a hockey game, for example, what do they do? They sing the national anthem. Now, these anthem singers are often notorious within the community of the people watching those sports for their personality or their look or their flavor. And John McDermott, who's the guest that we're going to be having on this week, has sung the anthem for tons of professional teams. He's got tons of albums, an enormous amount of experience doing charitable work, and all of this surrounds the idea of sports as a community Unity, which is a theme that if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I absolutely love. Our story about how we met John McDermott, his stories that he tells us every time we see him, I absolutely love listening to this guy talk, and this is the first time I get to do it where we're recording it for posterity and you all get to listen to it. I don't want to say any more. I'm going to lead us into the interview portion of this episode. You guys are going to absolutely love this. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back, everyone who's listening. We're joined by uh, a longtime friend of both myself and uh, and Brian Aaronworth, who's joining me as well, president of Frameworth, uh, John McDermott. He's sung the national anthem for the Boston Red Sox, Toronto Blue Jays, and Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, he was a representative of the Toronto Sun after Conrad Black himself specifically heard him singing at a company party. He's recorded over 30 albums, five-time Juno nominee, possibly, most importantly, a recipient of the Chaplain of Four... four the Chapel of Four Chaplains Legion of Honor, Legion of Honor Award uh, for his service and support of veterans' causes. Uh, John, I'm assuming that's kind of one of your uh, your your most uh, 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 shining awards that you have. But thank you so much for joining us, John. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I love listening to your stories when we're not recording anything. So now that we have the chance to kind of uh, uh, put this down permanently, I'm 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 pretty pumped. <laughs> 
Great. No, that's great. Now, my, my axle, you know, the one award that I'm really proud of is there's, uh, there's, there's two actually. One came in 2000, and, uh, uh, just before 9-11. Uh, we were uh, with the Marine Corps in Boston, and I got the, uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor Society's Bob Hope Award. Wow. And uh, just a couple of years ago, I got the, uh, uh, I think it's right here. Yeah. I'll show that to you. It's the, uh, the Ted Williams Globe and Anchor Award. Ted wow. Williams Globe. And what's, what's that awarded for? That comes from the, uh, from the U.S. United States Marine Corps. That's to, amazing. Uh, and I'm the only Canadian ever to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor, uh, Bob Hope Award, and the Ted Williams Award. That's amazing. Now, what, what, got, you so, what got you so involved in, in veterans affairs and, and, and doing work for the military? Oh, in a nutshell, I guess back in, uh, it was uh, 2000, no, it was 1994, November of 1994. I did my first show as a professional entertainer, solo, in Toronto. This was Chippendale, you were a Chippendale at this point, right? I was, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Pretty ripped. Um, (laughs) But again, you know, I can can assure you that when when, when Brian and I talk about being ripped, we're not talking about how we look. Hey, I've I've seen you in the Platinum Lounge at the at the uh, at the Air Canada Center in Scotiabank at yeah, certain points. We're, we're ripped many we're, times. We're ripped in different okay. ways. Uh, 1994, I did my first show at the uh, at the uh, in Toronto, at the uh, uh, at Mervish uh, the Mervish Theater in Toronto. Right. The old uh, uh, the Royal Alex and and um, my dad uh, was it was the first time he'd ever seen me on stage as a pro, at my first show here and. He had a bit of an accident. He fell getting out of the car in front of the theater and rushed off to, they got him off to the hospital. And I was inside and, you know, Bill Ballard was my manager uh, and Michael Cole was my manager. And, and, and Billy heard about the accident and didn't want anyone to tell me because he didn't want to slow the show down. Wow. <laughs> not, not for your well-being. It was for the show. Well, okay. Well, yeah. But what he did know was he knew that I had told my dad that I was going to put a spotlight on him and my mother in the second half of the show. Oh. So Bill spent the next 45 minutes running around the theater trying to find someone who looked like my dad. So, so, that, so, we, that, you, so that the lights would turn on and you wouldn't know it wasn't your dad? I wouldn't know. Wow. So anyway, my dad's at the hospital. My brother went with him. Uh, my mother went. The doctor said, you know, we'll keep you in for – keep you in for uh, – uh, just to watch and he said screw this I got to go my son's on stage and he got up and he checked himself out and my mom came and they get back and second half starts and I say ladies and gentlemen I just want everyone to please welcome my mom and dad and the spotlight hit him and I'm looking at him and I'm saying what the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> his bandage wrapped around his head you know it's, you know, I like like the idea that he shows up and his lookalike is sitting in his chair and he's like, I must have really hit my head because I could (laughs) have sworn I was supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was was great because the first time, I mean, if we go, yeah, I mean, my career started all by accident. But, you know, I, I can remember talking to guys like, you know, like Jim Cuddy and Tom Cochran and Stefan Macchio. And these these are guys that are, you know. I remember being at an event with Stefan Macchio and a guy walked up to him and said, uh, he had just written a, a tune that, uh, for uh, Celine Dion. And, uh, and it, it was a massive hit and it allowed him to sell his, his loft in Toronto and move, move to LA and get in with some serious writers and what have you. And we're at an event out, in Midland, out near Midland or something. And someone walked up to him during the night and said, hey, 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 
congratulations on your overnight success. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Overnight success. Wow. I guess you, I guess you, you weren't in the, the Holiday Inn where you did 14,000 shows. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long night. That's a very long night. Sitting at a piano with no one in the room. So, Congratulations on your overnight success. This is, this is uh, you know, just a, a couple examples. I never had to do that. Oh. I never had to do that. That, that was why I was blessed. I, I, my, I, you know, my story's kind of weird and it's, it's weird and wonderful, I guess. But well, so I, that's, uh, that's kind of some of the, the questions that I have leading into this is, is kind of how uh, you start off. How does a Scottish Canadian tenor with Irish roots end up singing the national anthem for one of the league's most prominent sports teams in the Toronto Maple Leafs for, I think about 20 years you were involved in this, right? Yeah, I started singing at the gardens back in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was there, I was there, <laughs> I was there in 93. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but, um, because Billy, I, I knew Bill, I knew Bill Ballard and, um, you know, we used to hang out at the hot stove on Wednesdays for a uh, rib night and then take in the game. And, and, uh, um, I was working at the Toronto sun at the time. And so, uh, you know, there was that connection, uh, with, uh, with the Leafs and, and, uh, and Andy Donato was great pal and Andy and we used to just the gang that was kind of in the scene at the time was, sure. would hang around the hot stove and it was the same crew, same people. And, and from time to time I belt out a tune in the hot stove and that's, that's, can I, can I, can I interrupt there for a sec? Cause that, that's yeah. become well known uh, for you, John, both during and after your time singing the national anthem for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you will regularly go to the platinum lounge. Uh, is that depends we, how ripped we are. Depends on how ripped you are. Yeah. Yeah. How much you've been quote unquote working out. Yeah. In the yeah. meantime, and uh, a crowd will form around you and you'll, you call it belting out a tune. I call it you opening your mouth and the heavens shining upon us. It's it's a it's a a uh, you'll you'll give us a melody. And now I want to I want to be very very clear here. If you've ever been to a party in your life and someone picks up an acoustic guitar and says I'm going to sing you a song, that's when you leave. That's when you get out of there. But when you do it, the crowd is interested. The crowd stays to hear you sing, even sometimes when the game has already started, and then they'll make their way back to their seats after. What's, how did you just think one day, I'm going to do this, and, and, and did you know it was going to go over well, or is this just something that you kind of sat on and hoped it was, it was going to work? No, I, th- I think... You know, early on, I I knew. I mean, uh, I knew I had a voice. I was I was told by uh, by an old priest friend who was actually one of the Flying Fathers, uh, uh, Father McLean, and uh, Don McLean. He passed away this year, uh, not that long ago. But Don was a Flying Father, and uh, and he recommended me to St. Mike's Choir School, and actually I think got me in by threatening them. So. Uh, <laughs> That, that, and it worked out. It, 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 he said, I said, how'd you get me in there? Because I, he never told me. Uh, they had turned me down and he went, went back. And, and because of the choir school, because I went to the choir school, um, I was only there for two years. But um, the closest friends I have today are the guys that were in my class in those two years at the choir school. And we get together twice a year. And it's, this is our 50, 51st year. We get together every year to uh, have dinner at, at a French place, at uh, Perry Delenti's place. Huh. And, um, and Perry hosts us and we, we, you know, we share our memories and, 
and it was because of the connections with those guys that my music really did take off um, because they wouldn't have let me let it go. Uh, had I been somewhere else, I don't know if that would have been the fact. Sure. Um, a lot of support. But, but McLean, McLean told me I had a voice and made sure that I was going to be accepted somewhere. Is there is there kind of a parallel you can draw? You know, we one of the things we want to talk about, because there, there are a lot of sports podcasts out there where they, they talk about, you know, the, 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 the score of the game or just the athlete's history, et cetera, et cetera. We really do like to get into the, the behind the scenes, peek behind the curtains of sports and what goes on to the point where a lot of people probably see the anthem singers go on and don't think much about how they've now integrated themselves with the culture of that sport team, uh, which you very well did over the last 20 years. Do you see a little bit of a parallel between the way that people will come together to watch sports and the way that people would come together to say sing in a choir? Is there is there a, a similarity there that that kind of builds that camaraderie? Well, yeah, I think that we're all drawn to we're all drawn to something that makes us feel good. We're all drawn to something that excites us. Right. Um, and there's the parallel and it, and it certainly works. I mean, uh, and when you can get it in get both in the same, same space. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, 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 uh, to, to me that it, it was really a ritual that I, I, uh, I really miss it. Mm-hmm. I really miss it. Um, and I miss it because, uh, because of a number of things. I think, you know, I'm not a big fan of one, one, I, 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 would I love to be the only anthem singer for the Leafs? Not a chance. Right. Um, because the fans, the fans can relate to, 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 to different things, you know, different players, different events, different anthem singers. They've all got their favorites. And so I think that that's important to, to mix it up and keep it mixed up. And, and actually, the Leafs were one of the very last organizations to have two or three or four anthem singers. Well, they would get whoever's performing for Mervish. Sure. Uh, you know, this lead, the lead singer in the, in the musical down the street to come in and do an anthem. Um, uh, you know, I, I just gave them an open card. If you need me, I'll come down. Yeah. Um, and, and it was great. And and so in, to do that, it allowed me an opportunity to make that evening something special for a fan. And right. so that that's that was the idea. If you think if of it, it, it was walking into the old hot stove or walking into the platinum and 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 uh, and belting out a tune before the game or at the intermission. Yeah. And, and or, or or just just going in to see faces and and and, and give them a thumbs up and. That all became part of it, and so that was the whole event for me. And and so you've got both those things happening. And yeah, it was it was it was magic. Amazing. When you, when you think of it, though, John, you know, you go to the All Star Game every year, the hockey uh, when they have the All Star Games, they don't have the same entertainer there every year. They, right. You know, you look forward to who's going to be next. It it's part right. of the show. I mean, you go to see a hockey game, but it's nice to see somebody different. Um, right. I just wanted to get into a couple of things that that. Uh, one, how John and I met. Sure, I actually don't know this story. So, um, I think the first time I met John, other than seeing him, because I was a frequent uh, uh, fan at the games almost every Wednesday night, and I'd see John there, but I remember going out to Sidney Crosby's 21st birthday party, and uh, <laughs> I was invited out at uh, in Halifax, or, or what was the name? Uh, What's the name of the course, John? Yeah, it's Fox Harbor. Fox Harbor, okay. beautiful course. And they had Fox a 21st birthday party, and uh, all Sydney's friends and family were there. And then next thing I know, I see Sydney's aunt, who's all excited because she sees John walk in. Right. She has, she's a huge so, John so McLean fan. 
Brian, let me let me let me tell you what happened there. Yeah, you'll pick up right after yep. this. So we're at the other end of the building, Mike, and and it's it's Ron Joyce and Friends golf golf tournament. And so, you know, all the East Coasters are there and the Shaw brothers and everybody. And I'm sitting with a couple of pals and I look up and I see these two guys walk in. And someone leans into me and says, Holy shit, that's the kid. The kid. I said, The kid. I said, no, no, that's Mario Lemieux. <laughs> yeah. So Mario and the kid came in and and Sid says, walks over to our table and said, Mr. McDermott, my, my parents know you're here. We, could you come down and, and, and just say hello? Wow. Say, are, you, are you kidding me? So I go I go down and, and, and that's and that's where Brian picks up. That, I'm coming mutual admiration society. They love him, he loves them. Um, I see Mario come in with, I mean, it was a pretty good who's who yeah, at that event. I would imagine. It was yeah. a whole weekend that we flew in and they played golf and had this big party. But John's, um, John's standing there talking to his, uh, Sid's parents and his aunt and his aunt was a big, huge fan. Well, they all were. Um, I think you even stopped to sing too. You, you always... He always Sid stops. Always, always find oh, a Danny boy, you got to get that out of John before he leaves. I sang at the table. I sang it at the table, and, and, and they were so happy. And, Brian, the next morning, we were leaving. Because that, that was, a, I think that was a Sunday or a Saturday night. We were leaving. And uh, if you know Fox Harbor, you can walk directly from your, 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 your condo across the lawn onto the tarmac and into the plane. So... I'm, I'm, I'm walking across and this golf cart goes by and, and, and there's somebody yelling and I look over and, it, and it's Sid and he's riding with somebody. I guess it was his agent and, and, and he's and he's waving. And so I, I waved back and I got on the plane and we left. Now, this is how special that kid is. <laughs> a year later, and I mean this, like a year later, I'm singing the anthem at the game. Um, uh I'm standing just as the players come off the ice, um, uh, come off the ice to, uh, to go to the dressing room after practice. And I'm waiting on a couple of guys I know on the team. And Sid walks by. And as he gets to the dressing room, I looked up and I noticed he did a double take and looked back. Anyway, I'm just saying hello to everybody and, and away we go. And I start walking around. I'm going around to see the referees. And, and someone comes up, taps me behind, and says, the, the kid wants to talk to you. And I said, what? Who? <laughs> the kid wants to talk to you. So I, I turn around, I walk back, and here's Sid standing outside. He's taking his, his shirt off, and he's standing there, and he says this. He says, Mr. McDermott, respect, eh? Come on. <laughs> he says, Mr. McDermott, I never got to thank you. I tried to, but you just walked away. I said, thank me for what? He said, for singing at my... At, at the table for my for my parents oh he says, said, he said, oh oh he says I you, you have no idea how happy you made them and i wanted to thank you for that oh that's amazing you know this is a year after the fact this kid never forgot no, and no. i said well Sid, i thought you were just waving at me sydney's <laughs> <laughs> like that I, I i and then so i want to get into the next story so sure. i didn't know john at the time i knew of this music and it was a beautiful rendition he always does best yeah. Danny boy ever. Oh, I, I, I agree. 
Um, and so, and that, Oh Holy Night. Don't don't sleep oh, on Oh Holy oh, Night. We'll get into you do a fantastic version of that as well. Right. Yeah. So the next time, uh, the next time I hear from John, he gives me a call. Um, we didn't really know each other at the time, and he said, I mean, he knew of me, I knew of him, and he said, um, Pittsburgh's in town. I said, Yeah, I know, and uh, he said. Uh, I wonder, I'm going to be doing the anthem, and I wonder if you have a blank, like an unsigned jersey uh, that that I could get Sydney to sign for a charity. John's so big into his philanthropic uh, causes. And, but I know at the time how superstitious Sydney is right. and that you, he has this whole routine before the game and you don't do you sure. know, certain things. So I thought, you know what, maybe it's best. I said, John... Rather than you ask Sydney for the autograph, I'm just going to give you a, a, an autograph jersey so you can, you know, do that without, and then maybe we'll see him after the game. Right, right. And so that's how I got to know John. He dropped in, got the jersey, donated it to his charity of choice. And then since then, we've become really good friends. And then I want to get into the the next time. So after that, he felt obligated to to do something for me. Sure. So, he says, I want to introduce you to some people from from when we mentioned them the oh, other day. Oh, I know where this from is Prince going. Edward like Island. This, yeah. <laughs> they all come in for the hockey games once or twice a year. The Tignish and got, crew. And John gets them all tickets. And we all meet in the hot stove. So take it from there, John, because uh, the boys have become, we've all become really close friends ever yeah. since then. Yeah, well, the, you know, the leader of the pack is a guy named uh, Brian Hogan, who is, uh, whose heart's the size of, uh, size of Prince Mount. Edward Island. <laughs> He's size of PEI, and um, and actually, but just it's coincidental. But today is the beginning of lobster fish. Uh, lobster catch starts today in Tignish. But um, I invite them up. I bring them all up for game, um, and I do it twice a year. Once in, 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 they usually try to come for the opener. Tickets are easy for that one, eh? Yeah. And then we uh, <laughs> we do the uh, we do one in January just to break up the winter for them. And uh, we, we would go to, go to Gretzky's beforehand. And we were in Gretzky's. And uh, Tom, had, Tom Bitov had set up a table for us and, and a bar tab. Tom would be the, the owner of the yeah. restaurant, yeah. Along with Wayne. Yeah. Along with Wayne, so, yeah. <laughs> you may have heard him. So, so uh, um, we drink there for a while and have something to eat. Uh, we then head to the... Uh, head to the uh, head to the building and uh, I know Tom's going to the game so I said Tom you know I'll bring the guys up to the box and you okay and he says yeah yeah sure so we get to the game we go into the box and uh, this is uh, half an hour before the game starts and uh, Tom arrives and Brian's quite upset Brian says I don't know what kind of operation you're running here but they just cut me off what do you mean we cut you off well they, you know they cut me off well how many beers have you had is it four <laughs> the game hasn't started yet. <laughs> Brian was, uh, Brian was uh, setting the uh, setting the table, but we didn't tell him that he had. Uh, I can't even tell you how many he had at Gretzky. <laughs> so These boys but are a lot of fun. Girl. I'll tell you. The girl was a bit concerned that that that, that four, not that he was drunk. You wouldn't even know it. No. But I, I don't think he would, but that, that he had four beers before the game. So that was Those East concern. Coasters, anyway, they can handle it. They yeah. can, yeah. yeah. He, continued, he continued his damage, but uh, the guy is, uh, I mean, what he gives back to the community down East. Um, I've been, I went down uh, to sing at a fundraiser to put a roof on the local church down there. And they raised enough money to, to do a number of things. Um, 
and I became a, an honorary member of the Tignesh community. And I, mm. there, up until last year, there wasn't a year in the last 10 that I haven't been going down there to fish tuna and just spend time with these people. When you cross the bridge going on to PEI, yep. you turn left. That's where you go and you drive until you can't drive anymore and you find yourself in one of the, one of the most amazing, beautiful communities uh, that you'll ever be in. And not just for the, 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 the geographic beauty of it, but the people themselves. It's just a spectacular. They, they hosted spectacular us. Lori and I invited us out there. We were going out to the East Coast. for Lori oh, being your, your oh, wife. My wife, yeah. <laughs> uh, the we, listener doesn't know everything about you, Dad. Yeah. Not everyone does. Uh, we were going well, out for Sydney's Backyard Stanley Cup party. And on the way, we took a little detour and went to PEI. And I've never been hosted by a friendlier group of people they picked yeah, us up. We they drove us around the whole place, gave us a tour, took us out on their lobster boat, and we had dinner at the golf club. And I brought them some Toronto Maple Leaf memorabilia, Amazing. and they they uh, they served us lobster. It was an incredible evening. I was going to say the two the two currents or the, there's three currencies that are the theme of this episode. There's the currency of song, which you give John. There's the currency of seafood, which our Tignish friends give, and there's the currency yeah. of of hockey and sports memorabilia in general. And that's that's what you're bringing to the table as well, Dad. But the the common yeah. thing that that surrounds this all is you guys met at a hockey game, you sang for a hockey game, Dad. You were working around that hockey game, and this again just shows how much more there is going behind the the scenes. You know, it's not just about puck drop and pucks going in the net. There's an entire community and culture behind it. And I, one thing that I love, and I think the reason why John, you endeared yourself so so well towards the fans, is because you really embody that feeling of community. You mentioned the church. You mentioned working for the veterans' causes. Everything you do seems to be about giving back and and incorporating. You know, when you start to sing at the bar, this isn't just about you showing off the fact that you can sing. And that's the difference between you and the guy who picks up an acoustic guitar at a party. It's about, hey, everyone, stop what you're doing, turn around, and let's all engage in this one thing together, which coincidentally is exactly what we do in the world of sports as well. And right, it's yeah. it's things like this that have, uh, as I mentioned, endeared you towards not just the fans, but also the players and the officials themselves. Now, I want to read a quote from a, uh, a friend or companion of yours, Ray Scapanello, who said right. about you, he said two things. The first one that I want to go, it's a little bit long, so bear with me. Um, he's talking about you here, you here, and this is a story I, I absolutely love. Or he'd rush in looking for a tie he's talking about before going before you're going to sing. Or he'd rush in looking for a tie before going back out there to sing the, the anthem. He'd stop ushers, security people, anyone wearing a tie that he might borrow. And one time the tie he borrowed clashed so horribly with the tartan jacket he was wearing that no one knew how to tell him. Tartan, for the listeners who don't know, is essentially like the plaid that you would see in, uh, in, in a kilt. In, in a kilt, essentially. Um, so out he went to sing the anthem. And when he finished, I skated over and told him to lose the tie. We had a drink and a good laugh over that after the game. John, do you remember uh, looking back at pictures of you wearing the the tie with the tartan jacket yeah vividly <laughs> vivid, vivid, vivid is a good way to put it i think yeah oh yeah no ray i i, I used to my routine was just to, to uh, i would the first place i'd go when i got down i'd just go and say hi to everybody in the bar uh leave my jacket and then scoot around grab my tickets and then i'd keep going and go around and, and hang out with the referees for a little bit and that, that was the routine for 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 for, for forever and, um, yeah, I mean, there was one time, uh, when I wasn't singing the anthem, it was St. Patrick's day and, um, our, our, uh, uh, I wasn't supposed to sing, uh, but, uh, our good friend, uh, who passed away a few years ago, um, was singing and, uh, 
got stuck on, on the, uh, on the gardener. Uh, Billy Ballard and I had been celebrating uh, St. Patrick's Day, quite, <laughs> and uh, we arrived at the, at the hot stove and uh, uh, continued to celebrate. <laughs> and I got a tap on the shoulder from uh, someone and said, "John, um, M- Michael, Michael stuck on, Michael, Michael Burgess is stuck on the gardener. Can can you sing the anthem?" And I said, "For sure." <laughs> <laughs> And that was the night that Ray had me barge in looking for a tie. Um, I, I did get out to the ice and I did sing the anthem. Uh, but a couple of things happened. Um, Joe Bowen uh, on air said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are watching and listening to John McDermott sing the national anthem. And I can tell you, I ran into John McDermott and his associate, Mr. Ballard, earlier this afternoon. <laughs> and uh, it is not only amazing <laughs> that he is singing the anthem, it is nothing short of a miracle that he's upright while doing so. <laughs> and I could see some of the, uh, because I started singing the anthem and I sang it like this. Oh, say, can you see? <laughs> Bye. And the Globe and Mail quote the next day was, Leafs won, and thankfully the anthem finished before the 11 o'clock news. <laughs> I got to uh, tell you one other thing about John. So if you've ever experienced, what you want to do is, is experience a game with John, and it's legendary. I had the great honor and pleasure of being in Detroit Stadium with Gordie Howe, walking around in the bowels of the arena, Joe Louie. And, uh, and I've also been walking or, and, and watching how he's adored by everybody that he, and he stops to talk to everybody. I've been in uh, the spectrum with Bernie Perrant and watched how he walks and stops and talks to people and they just love him. Right. And right in that league is John McDermott. If you ever have... Uh, the the pleasure of being in one of the arenas with John. He walks around. Everybody knows him. He's got a whole pocket full of CDs that he hands out to the ushers and usherettes. Lots of, lots of pockets in those tartan jackets you wear. He right? owns that building, and he owns it for a good reason because he he is so friendly and so courteous and so giving to everybody in the building that they just love him. He can go anywhere without a ticket. Yeah. Upstairs, suites, yeah. anything he wants. Hey, eh, John, and and, it, well, and I've had you, more fun Brian, with that. You, you came on me. You came on. You came on a run with me one night where I, you know, usually I, it's Brian. I usually go to the game with Stemmel. Brian and I usually yep. go together. I get tickets, and, and we never sit in our seats because Brian knows what I'm going to do. I'm going to get us somewhere into a box or something like that, or we'll watch it in the hot stove or watch it in the platinum. But uh, I take what we do is we, we go to to the to the highest furthest point in the building in the back rows up top and I look for an adult with a kid and it could be a mother with her daughter or father with her son, with a son or whatever, just an adult with a kid. And I, I try to make sure it's as young a child as possible because it's probably their first game. Right. And it's probably their birthday. It may be a night mm-hmm. out with, with one of their parents. Sure. And I walk over and I'll say, can I see your tickets? And I'll say, well, you know, there's been a mistake. 
these are your tickets. Uh, <laughs> you're sitting, you know, eight rows behind the leaf net tonight. Ooh. And, uh, and the organist wants to meet you. And then the referees want to meet you. And the guy who rides the Zamboni wants you to take it, sit in the Zamboni seat. Okay. Oh, wow. And I take this kid down and, and I stop and we see, we see, we talk and visit our guy on the organ. The kid gets his picture taken with him and Brian Stemmel. We then get in the elevator and go down and we're in the underground and we stop and knock it at the referee's dressing room and the referees 99 times out of a hundred, uh, I'll say he'll, they'll, they'll come out and say hi to the kid. They're not dressed yet. Um, and, uh, and what I'll do is, is put him up in the Zamboni seat and he'll get up there and get a picture. And then by the time we do that, the referees are pretty much ready to go. Yeah. And they'll come out and stand with the kid and get his picture taken. That's awesome. And, give, and they give him a puck. And then we walk around and I take them around to that point just before the Platinum Lounge where you, where you walk into the alleyway sure. and I turn them over to the two girls there. And they, uh, they of course, know what's going on and they just take them to their seat. That's amazing. And then I'll call uh, uh, Ian McMillan up in, the, uh, up in the production room and say, Ian, these are the, they're in my seats tonight. Can you get them on the big screen just before the end of the second? Oh, amazing. Sure enough, the kid's up there, and you can just see this kid explode, you know, that he's up on the big screen. And, yeah, and I've done that for I, – I can't remember the last time I sat in my seats. What, what, do, you, what do you call that? Because you have a name for that, don't you? Oh, the McDermott move of the game. The McDermott <laughs> move of the game, baby. I love that. That's a great idea. I, I've got a similar story um, that I experienced firsthand, which was – uh, Jonathan Taves and his mom and uh, well, his mom and dad came into town, uh, played some golf with his dad, Brian. And, um, then we went for dinner and then they went to the, you know, they went to their seats and we went, but we, we agreed to meet in the platinum lounge. seems like a common theme, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Afterwards. And, and John was the, there. The platinum lounge in case you're listening and you don't know is essentially around where the, the, uh, the, the platinum row of seating is. You have a lot of people congregate to the bar in that area. Right. I, I believe yeah, it is yeah. just called the platinum lounge. I don't know if it has, yeah, it's not they, like the hot stove. But yeah. when John goes in there, it's like the red sea parting. Yeah. You know, he goes right to the bar. They know him. They got, they got his beer ready or whatever it is. So anyway, we go in there after the game and, and the, uh, Andre and Brian Taves come in and we're waiting for Jonathan to come in and, uh, and meet us after the game. And there's a little girl there with her father. I don't know if you remember this, John, but I believe I remember it very well. Brett. She, she had cancer, was it? Or was, yeah. 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 Anyways, John just immediately latched on to this girl, um, who didn't really know who he was other than she remembered him singing the anthem sure, or whatever sure. it was at the time. But he just, like we're all there talking and enjoying, and he's sitting there talking to the little girl and her parents. Her dad, I think, was there with her. Yeah. Anyway, he just stayed with her, started talking to her. She was a Chicago fan, too. Yeah. He introduced her uh, to Jonathan's mom and dad. She was just in awe. Yeah. And then I believe we got – oh, I you – came up to me and said we got got to get this girl a, an autograph from Jonathan. Right. And we and so he arranged all that. I made sure that it got sent afterwards cuz we didn't have one. Sure. I, we weren't sure whether Jonathan was going to join us in the bar. It's not a real cool thing for the players to do afterwards. And then John, more so than in the intermission at least. <laughs> John John takes his glass and cuz she says she loved his singing. So he takes his glass, tinks it and says the whole bar stopped. And John said, uh, "John said, uh, 
I think I'll sing the national anthem here and s- sits on the bar and does uh, not the national anthem, the, the Danny, Danny boy, boy. Yeah. which stops the whole bar. Yeah. And everybody just, and the photos are going, the film's going, and this little girl was sitting right beside him and just taking it all in. She's never had a day like that. And yet, if if someone's watching from home, they're watching the hockey game. They turn it on. They, it's, it's It's early enough for puck drop, and they see you come out and sing the national anthem. That element of you as an ambassador for the team and for the sport isn't isn't seen. Uh, it's 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 a story that that goes perfectly with what we try to do here, and, and that's to show how deep the roots of each of these members of the sport community go. I mean, it's it's way more than just what's shown in the finished product. It's more than pucks yeah. and nets, as I like to say. It's like a big family, Mikey. It's it's you know, I mean, we're all part of we're all part of that big family, don't right? You think? I mean, uh, Brian, it's it's it's. Um, it really is a unique experience when, when you get up, but it's, it's almost like, you know, it's family dinner twice a week and, and you're getting together with the, with your family and that, and, and they become really do become, um, a part of your life and, and, uh, and it's, and the stories and the memories that you create for sure. Um, you know, they're fantastic. They really are. I mean, I've, a lot of stories we can't talk about are, are, are <laughs> really the ones that, the ones that, that are, that are very near and dear to us, you know, but, uh, We'll see. We'll see if we can if we can tease a, a story or two out of you in, in in a second. Though I do want to bring up one more quote from Ray Scapinello, uh, and then I think my dad's going to follow up with a question. But but I he he mentioned that there's a specific rule that no one is allowed to go hang out with the referees sixty minutes prior to game time, and there are a plethora of reasons why that would be. Of course, however, there's one exception to that rule, notably, and it's known by everyone that you are allowed to go and hang out with the referees before the game. You don't yeah. play sides. You don't play favorites. You're not there to influence anyone. But the referees not only are okay with you being there, but in Ray's case specifically, enjoys having you there because it's the only yeah. time, he says, that he can take his mind off of the game and get some breathing room before he gets out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. It was a lot of fun. And they all have all those different personalities, I tell you, in that room. I mean, I, I remember the night... Uh, I, I had to, I had to sing anthem. I had, I had to change in the referee's dressing room, and, I, and so I ran in there and I, I, I borrowed a suit from one of the waiters. And just, <laughs> this I, is a common story <laughs> of you, and, of you borrowing and, clothes. And it was the one night, it was the one night that this ever happened that Jim Gregory, who was you know head of the GM. head of the uh, the zebra community, um, he was walking into the dressing room as I was staggering out of the dressing room. <laughs> And he says to me, what the, are you doing in here? And I said, I was just giving the guys their, their bribes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was, uh, I think the guys heard me and you could hear the chuckles going on, but yeah. Oh, that's number, amazing. Just a number of wonderful wonderful times that we had i think uh because because we we kind of glossed over it in the beginning but i did mention that you had sung the anthem for the boston red Sox as well and uh and i know my my dad has some some questions about that because he's uh he's well, no, i just didn't it. want i didn't want to forget this because uh as big as john is here in toronto um he gets invitations out to sing at fenway which one day i've never been to fenway so one day he's going to drag me down there when things open up. <laughs> okay uh, well Absolutely. and also also he's a member of the royal and ancient but we'll talk about that in a second but john um regale us with some of your stories from uh, from boston 
Well, you know, the, the thing the, the, uh, with, the Re- with the Red Sox and the Bruins, um, you know, my, one, one of my favorite Bruins stories is uh, my, Mark Lalama's my keyboard player, and I guess it was a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, I know the guy that's the, the security guy down at, at, uh, at uh, the gardens, and so, uh, you know, we managed to, uh, to get ourselves uh, uh, some tickets and get in, and and, and we were, uh, there's these two kids sitting behind us, probably maybe six, seven years old, desperate Leaf fans. <laughs> and and um, by the end of the first, I think it was like five nothing Bruins. And so I, I disappeared and came back with a, with a puck for each of them <laughs> and, and gave a puck to the two kids. And, you know, they didn't care if it was 12 nothing. Kind of a consolation they, at they, that point, yeah. They lit up because they had pucks. The parents were thrilled because their kids weren't complaining anymore. Saved, saved the day, probably a whole road trip. Yeah, but it was St. 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 Patty's Day, and and the Bru and the Bruins give me always give me a St. Patty's Day shirt um, with my name on it. Um, I've and at Fenway, um, you know, the, the the Fenway for some reason, uh, whenever they do the Canadian anthem and the Blue Jays are there, it's, it usually gets kind of chop a block, you know, and I remember doing a show about an hour and a half away from Fenway out in Worcester. And that was on the, uh, I was doing a show on the Sunday and the guy who, who does the uh, organization, uh, Danny Lyons, who organizes the anthems and pregame stuff, um, heard I had a show on and he, he called and said, is there any way, any way you can get in here to sing the anthem? He says, we, it's been butchered for two nights. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I drove down, did the anthem, went back, and then did my show. And, and uh, I've been back a number of times, but my favorite was um, uh, uh, Big Poppy's last game at Fenway was against uh, the Blue Jays. Right. And uh, he got to pick uh, a lot of the stuff, and that including who would sing the, uh, who would sing the national anthem. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, Mary Jane Blige sang the U.S. anthem, and uh, wow, and I got nice the company. call from, uh, to do uh, to do the anthem. And, that's uh, uh, that's a good call to get. That's that's a that's great. And I, I came away with uh, you know some really nice memorabilia from Poppy, and uh, and and and, uh, and a great picture. That uh, send off was one of my favorite enormous. shots. Actually, when they were in Toronto, um, I was doing the anthem at a Jays game in Toronto, and and of course they get they're pretty stuck up down at at, 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 at the the Sky Dome. Call them what you want. Um, and I, uh, what they do is they have you stand in a little box, an, an, an invisible box next to the railing, and you can't move from there until you're ready to walk out and sing the anthem. And, uh, and I can hear uh, Poppy, he's going, hey, Johnny, hey, Johnny, <laughs> come here, come here. I said, no, no, I, I, I can't leave here. I can't. So he walks over. <laughs> And he picks me up under his arm, <laughs> carries, carries me to the dugout. And the girl that's in charge is saying, you can't do that. And I said, you tell him. Yeah, yeah I'm not telling him. He has so, control over my life and body so, right now, yeah. So the photographer, and I can't remember his name, Chuck. Chuck Kochman. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Kochman, yeah, fr- big, good, yeah. good so friend Chuck of Chuck sees me and he turns around and clicks one of the best shots. And well, you've I'm got that shot. I've never seen it. Of, uh, of Poppy and I just standing in the dugout. Do you do you have that yeah. shot? I'd love you to send that to us, and we can we can add that to the video. Oh, I'll send it to you. I'm surprised yeah. it doesn't come in here for framing, or was it already done? Oh, a little conflict <laughs> no, of interest. It hasn't been done. No, there so you go. That just cost me. We're uh, we're <laughs> we're looking. 
Uh, we, we got about five minutes or so left, so we should start winding down. Before we do, I have a quick question to you, uh, for you. Uh, in terms of your life's accomplishments, what would you rank higher? Singing the anthem for Poppy's send-off game at Fenway or recording the theme song for My Bloody Valentine, the horror movie from 1981? Oh, Mikey. <laughs> 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 uh, well, no. I, I mean, obviously, um, actually, uh, my uh, two 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 things that I, I'm most proud of. Um, uh, there's a lot of things I'm proud of. Uh, I'm very proud of the you know singing at Poppy's uh, Poppy's yeah. deal. But my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm most proud of the fact that I've, I've I've been able to surround myself with people that um, that have a philosophy that I have, and that is. Uh, a mutual respect and admiration for each other's uh, gifts, and uh, and in doing that, um, you know, creating McDermott House Canada uh, yeah. in memory of my father. My father was a veteran. Uh, we didn't elaborate on that earlier. His only request to me in November at that show in 1994. After the show, he pulled me aside and he said, "You know, son, you might be good at this, and if you are." Promise me that you will do two things. You'll give back to Canada and you'll give back to the community who gave us this country, mm. the veterans. And uh, just uh, again, a number of years ago, I, 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 with, with, uh, with my good friend Brian Stemmel, the idea came to us that there was a space in the veterans wing at Sunnybrook Hospital in the K-Wing in the veterans wing that was available and needed renovation. And it needed $3.6 million to do it and turn it into a state-of-the-art palliative care unit. And we've done that. Wow, uh, that's, that's amazing. That's that's what we want. And now, now we're going to focus on on how we can help uh, help with uh, uh, bring uh, bring uh, bring medical care to the northern communities and to uh, to uh, deal with mental health. It's uh, it's going to be a major major issue in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if 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 anything has brought that to light more than anything, it's it's got to be COVID, right? I mean, well, the, the and, number and of people. That's 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 one of my. <laughs> no, that's no fun. <laughs> that ne- that never gets tired. It's that's whenever always- whenever you're down there, it's the usual suspects. They're of all course. there. Now, John, do you have uh, for anyone who's listening who may not have heard any of your albums before? Do you have one of the I believe 31 albums that you have? Do you have one specific one that you would recommend someone checks out to get a good sense of who you are? Oh yeah, well, you know, I mean. Um, um, obviously, the first, I think the first one has always been the, the Danny Boy album is, is, is one of my favorite albums. Yeah. Uh, my Christmas Memories is one of my favorite albums, Christmas Memories album. And the one that we're doing now, we're just finishing up a new album due out in the fall. And it's dedicated to my parents. It's called Somewhere in Me, There's You. Mm. And um, working with, and I'm telling you, this album, I'm working with Mark Lalam on it. It is the best stuff I've ever done. Mark, you I, mentioned is your keyboardist? I couldn't be happier, yeah. Yeah. I, I will Let's say this. this again when the album's up. I, yeah. I, I will say this. John, for many years, was uh, inviting me to his Christmas yeah. pageant, Christmas concert that he does every year. Um, and for various reasons, we couldn't make it. I, I usually take off a little early sometimes and go on a cruise or whatever. But finally, we ended up going. And we, you were there. I was we there, took yeah. the family there. And it has become a tradition ever since, uh, aside from COVID. What a 
beautiful way to start the Christmas season. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, I grew up uh, with a Jewish background yeah. and still, um, our family is, uh, it celebrates everything in every religion, but, uh, yeah. what a beautiful way to start and it, what a great concert. And now it, everybody asked me like last year or the year before they said, are we going? Are we, you know, that's the, evening. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, uh, I have one quick story that I want to tell uh, just to kind of summarize the kind of person uh, that we're speaking with right now. And John, uh, uh, the first time I met you actually was at the Platinum Lounge. Surprise, surprise. You were there. I was yeah. there. Uh, and we had at Frameworth planned a sale the following day, a big sale, a Christmas sale, I believe yep. that we do once a year. And I knew I had to be up early the next day, but I was having a great time at the Platinum Lounge because I was with great company. And you and I kind of hit it off. I went to school out in Halifax, so we talked a little bit about right. uh, uh, living out east. And you had mentioned the person who who uh, uh, tailors your suits, you know, those gorgeous tartan suits that you wear. Mm -hmm. And we got talking about that, and I, I thought that was fantastic. And, and you you said to me, as two people who are just drinking and have a good t having a good time, you said to me, I'm going to give you one of my pairs of pants from my suit. I really think you'd like it. And I, I'm in university at this point, and I'm assuming that's like every other drunken university conversation I've ever had, <laughs> where we never talk about it again. Uh, and the next day, I'm awake, hungover, at the, at the sale at Frameworth, and you come strutting in through the door looking as though you slept 12 hours and were just fresh <laughs> as the day. And, uh, and, and you tossed before I could even, you tossed the pants at me. I still have them to this day. I could not believe awesome. that you remembered. Awesome. So your story yeah. to bring this full circle of, of, uh, of Sidney Crosby meeting you, remembering that he wanted to thank you and not getting able to do so and staying true to their word and finding a way to follow through. A lot of people yeah. have the same type of, of uh, perspective on you, and that's just one small example of that. So, um, John, before good, before we go, do you have any uh, anything you want to plug apart from the upcoming album? Anything you're working on? No, we're just doing uh, – the band and I are doing virtual concerts at johnmcdermott.com. Uh, you know, we have a Mother's Day show coming up and a Father's Day show that we're going to be putting up. So, yeah, if you just visit johnmcdermott.com, you can – you can download a show to watch with your family, watch with your mother, or your, and, and, and same thing for Father's Day. Perfect. But highly, highly recommend that, You know, everybody should just stay safe, and let's get all through this together. Definitely. And, you know, the sooner we get through it, the sooner we can uh, start spending time together. That's and, a good uh, point. That's important. And, uh, well, and that's all I'm hoping for. I, I would just like to say that if you ever have the good fortune of being at a hockey game and seeing John go up, he will always have time to say hello. In fact, he loves it. Uh, he, he, he doesn't watch the game most of the time because he's always moving around. <laughs> Go up and say hello and, and introduce yourself. You will have, uh, you will, you'll walk away with a smile. Guaranteed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully you'll walk away from this podcast with a smile, uh, between John and ourselves, maybe putting that on your face. And, uh, once again, thank you so much, John, for joining us, uh, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth and myself, Mikey Aaronworth. This is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off.
furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it! <laughs>